False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 116 for September of 2021. Eric, Garrett, and me, Pete, we're all with you this month as always. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Uh, hi, guys. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. Grinding away. We, actually, probably I mostly, uh, neglected something that we should have handled last month. We were so excited about doing What's the Ask that we forgot about a letter that was sent to us from a listener. So this is now like two months ago. <laughs> Andrew Lorenz said, uh, new fan of the podcast here, been binge listening all of your episodes starting in, in 2018 to work recently. Have a few questions for you guys. The first one is what to do with Bikes I have, and I'm not sure on. My first street bike is a 1987 CBR 1000F that's pretty dang clean and low miles when I got it. I uh, got three of them at once. Two are mostly complete parts bikes. I'm curious as to any of your experience with these bikes and if you guys think I should sell my bikes. I recently got a 2002 Aprilia RSV Melee. Good taste. And it spoiled me on a lighter and more modern bike, 100 pounds lighter. And that led me to want instead either a CBR 929 or 954 or a Gen 1 R1 or something similar. Do you think it would be smart to keep as a tour or should I just do what my heart keeps telling me and risk missing my first bike? It also wouldn't hurt to have extra cash for my Super Mono project next year. Uh, I sent a couple of pictures of the nice uh, CBR-1000F Hurricane that Andrew sent us. He also sent some pictures of his parts bikes, but they look like parts bikes. Uh, what do you guys think? Is a 1000 Hurricane from 1987 something he'll miss if he gets rid of it, considering he now is riding an Aprilia RSV? And do you think he would want a uh, CBR 929 R1, something like that? Well, I don't think a 929 or a first-generation R1 is really worth um, like getting rid of this one and replacing it with either one of those motorcycles, just because it's not a big enough step forward in you know, technology or, or rideability, it's still carbureted, you know, the first generation R1s and, um, I, this would probably make a decent sport tourer, I would think. So if he wants to do some touring, then this wouldn't be such a bad choice for that. Uh, it's a really clean motorcycle. And so from that standpoint, I would say you can, you won't hurt yourself by keeping it. You know, it'll probably, maintain its value whatever that value is right now pretty much indefinitely yeah it's um, old enough it's at the bottom of the depreciation curve yeah yeah 
And it's like one of those sort of quirky models. There's not like a lot of them, but, you know, somebody would probably find it nostalgic and want to spend, you know, whatever it's worth now in the future. I'm sure it'll be. Um, <laughs> take it. Take it. The Radwood. You get 40, 40 percent. Exactly. Her ask. Exactly. Yeah. Put it on. Bring a trailer. <laughs> and I'm sure it's a ten thousand dollar Honda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so for that reason, like if it, if it's all there and it works and it's not uh, a headache to own, then I would say keep it. I wouldn't replace it with any other carbureted thousand cc motorcycle. Um, if you were looking at like a fuel injected one thousand cc, then that would be different. But yeah, I don't know. I vote keeping it. Yeah, I would I would say that this is this is one for what, what's the ask. Uh, and I will take a, a swag on it and say it's probably about five grand. But I could be way off on that because I have enough. My roommate in college, my freshman year had one of these. And while I never um, was the pilot on it, I got to, to ride bit uh, on the back of it. Uh, and it was it was a fun bike. But, yeah, I mean, in today's world, it's performance wise, nothing special. The brakes are dodgy at best the suspension mm-hmm. is suboptimal um but it's a cool bike and it's a bit of a rare bike because most of them were crashed in the era so that you the fact that you have a one this clean and b uh enough parts to keep it running for a while i think is is not a bad idea should you get rid of it well here's the question does it still give you the fizz because if it still gives you the fizz at some level even if it's your first bike and that will always give you a fizz for that reason, or you enjoy looking at it, or maybe you still enjoy riding it, then keep it if you can afford to keep it, especially one that's that clean and you stay on top of it. Uh, having owned a 93, I think it was, CBR900RR, yeah, that bike left me cold. It was a nice bike, but it was a perfect Honda in that it did nothing wrong, but it didn't give me a fizz. Um, I've got a friend who has a 99 Yamaha R1. And he wants to sell it because same thing. It's just a nice bike, but he doesn't ride it because it doesn't interest him. Um, so I would say that those two bikes, no. If you want something in the 90s, super bike-wise, buy a Ducati. And that's a nice pivot from an Aprilia. Mm-hmm. I did not like the Bar of Soap Hurricanes when they came out. Since then, I've grown much more fond of them. My question would be, how do you ride and how do you intend to ride? When they were a cutting-edge sport bike, they served a much different potential owner and role. If you're a sport rider, no, you don't want this. The improvements in handling, even if it wasn't better suspension components... Aluminum spar frames are just so much stiffer that they feel better. And this is going to have, I think, some funky tire sizes you can't get super great tires for at this point. 16 front, 18 rear, maybe? In any case, they're going to be narrow enough that you're not going to be able to get state-of-the-art rubber for it. And... If you don't have a whole lot of twisty, turny roads and you're just going to take it out and kind of use it as a sport tour, doing some medium distance rides at relatively sedate speeds, that would be a great bike to have for that kind of riding. 
Uh, the ergonomics are not nearly as extreme as a lot of later sport bikes. They're comfortable. They're smooth, as smooth as, you know, a carbureted bike is going to be lean due to the EPA. I would say kind of what you were saying about the fizz. You have to be doing what this bike wants to do in order for you to enjoy it. And are you intending to do that? If you want to use this bike in the same way you would use an R1, no, you don't want this. If you want to take it out and have a nice little bimble down a back road long enough that you would get sore and uncomfortable on an R1 or, you know, a more modern, more extreme sport bike, yeah, probably something to keep. The fact that you have a whole garage full of various condition used parts for it is either a argument to keep it or a selling point, depending on how much room you have. If you can afford the space, great. And, you know, for what he could probably get for it, if you listed it on something like bring a trailer with all the spare stuff, it might be worth selling it. Because mm-hmm. you could probably get a much um, better performing bike if that's what you want to do and not really be into it a whole lot of money. And <clears throat> depending on how old this person is, that could be in his 20s, could be in his 40s, he's in his 20s you got plenty of time to come back to something like this. If you're in your 40s, I can understand why you might want to hang on to it a little bit. Not my first bike, but do I wish I had my RZ500 still? Absolutely. Is that wishing for a memory versus a reality? Probably. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also one of those things. You've had the experience. Now go, now go have some new experiences. I agree. So we're all kinds of in the middle somewhere. Cool bike, but old. Mm-hmm. At this point, you've probably made a decision. So uh, <laughs> get back with us. Tell us what you did. Yeah. yeah let's, let's see how we did. We've hedged our bets enough that no matter what you did, we can say we were right. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on. Garrett, what's your workshop update? Well, a couple of things, uh, and probably the most important is the Honda Z50 is finally done. Um, this is the Z50 that I've been working on for a long time. I mean, I probably started the disassembly of this motorcycle right about the time I was leaving my old job and quitting to go to nursing school. So that was, you know, probably six years ago or so. And I had got it like 95% finished at the time that we were moving into this new house. So I had to just put it off to the side and it had sat off to the side until I got my garage workshop, like pretty much done. I mean, it's functional at least as you guys remember, I put some cabinets in, put a metal bench top and, and got a toolbox and, you know, filled it with some of the basic tools that I need and put my motorcycle lift in there. And the first project was the C50. So all I really had to do was hook up the throttle cable, the brake lines, and a few other things. So I finally did all that and took it on its maiden neighborhood voyage the night before last. It seems to work just as it should. So, you know, it feels like a 1994 Honda Z50. And I don't know how accurate this is, but with the GPS app on my phone, I recorded a top speed of 31 miles an hour. Really? And that's 
Bone stock, 1994, stock in every way, Z50, with me, 180 pounds on it. Flat ground, 31 miles an hour. So if ever you needed to know the top speed of a Z50, that's what it is. That's actually higher than I thought it would be. Yeah, well, you know, I can do on a completely stock Trail 70, I can do 38 miles an hour. Now, the Trail 70 is vastly heavier and also not really that much more power, too. So 31, you know, I felt like that was probably in the ballpark of what I was expecting. But yes, but, as, but as a percentage, though, the Trail 70 has quite a bit more power because it's eight versus six. So on a percentage basis, that's a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I'm being funny, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you're I mean, you are right. And uh, but yeah, so 31 RPMs were like wrapped out. So I'm not sure it would actually go a lot faster with a smaller person on it, maybe slightly. But like, I think, you know, the RPMs might have been the limiter on that 31 collar gearing on it. Yeah. Although it's geared oddly. First gear, it'll climb up a tree. And second gear, it like has a lot of trouble getting going from a stop with me on it. So there's a big. Is that a three or four speed? Three speed. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so there's a big jump between first and second gear. With taller gearing on it, it would be actually kind of, I think, difficult for an adult to ride it without, like, really working the clutch a lot. And then a kid doesn't really need to go any faster than it goes now. So um, I think, yeah, I'll leave it the way that it is. But, yeah, it works great, and I'm really happy that it's done. So now I um, got all of my... Sapphire Blue Trail 70 stuff out. So I was gonna, my, that was going to be my next question. Yep, I'm just continuing with the vintage Honda theme. Um, I got all my hardware sorted, all of my powder-coated parts set out. So I've got the swing arm ready to mount, and the front forks are ready to go together. So I'll probably be able to get a rolling chassis together um, here in the next week. That's what I'm working on next. I got also... It's not really anything to do with the motorcycle side of things, but I uh, maybe we'll find a purpose for it. I got my laser engraver cabinet all set up. So I built a stand for the laser engraver and kind of ran the exhaust up like a chimney out of the shop and tested it actually this afternoon for the first time. So I just made a simple polygon shape on a piece of cardboard and just, you know, engraved a simple shape just so I can make sure that it all works and it does. So now I can start figuring out kind of how to use it. Cool. That's uh. so that's how much the, have you started playing with the engraver? N- like nothing at all. Okay. I, uh, yesterday was the first time that I actually tried to turn it on and use it. And I was having a problem getting the controller on the graver to talk to my computer. And so I solved that problem today and then wanted to make sure that, you know, in theory, everything functioned. So I did that and engraved a simple pattern. And now that I've like troubleshooted all of those functionality pieces, I can start experimenting with actually making stuff on it. And so that's right where I'm at now. I haven't even started, but I got to think of what I want to do for my first my first task and then start figuring out what the settings and uh well i'm looking at the picture of the cabinet mm-hmm. it seems like you've got a pretty 
big work surface. Yeah. What's what's your Yeah, it's um it's the work table, at least the XY axes are um twenty inches by twenty eight inches. And then uh, there is a depth. So I think that I have about an eight inch depth. So and like I could put something in it that's approximately eight inches deep. The sides also all open up all four sides. So you can, in theory, do like a long piece of something and you would have to manually like feed it in sections. But you can fit a long item through it as well. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, We've talked about this on your 70. What size engine did you end up getting for that? I got a 70. You did? I I thought you got something slightly larger. I wanted to, but I couldn't find anything. Oh, that's right. That's right. And mainly to minimize work, I wanted to get some sort of replica engine that looked like a replica engine. Silver cases, black cylinder, silver head. And I found a lot of like all black engines. And then also the larger displacement engines have um, dimensionally larger cylinders and heads. Right. And they just, they don't look right. So it was really between a 70cc and a 90cc. And I would have rather put a 90cc engine in it, but um, I couldn't find anything that just looked like a factory style 70. So I did find a 70cc engine that's, you know, looks just like a, it doesn't look like an original Honda 70cc engine, um, but at least it's the same shape. Same shape, same color. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm putting it in. Cool. And it'll really just kind of be all original. I don't want it to be, you know, faster than original or brake better than original or have better suspension than the original. I just want it to work and function and look like 1970. It'll just have the benefit of having an electronic ignition. Right. Just because of the modern engine, but. That's all. Right. Some listeners may not remember this. Uh, I don't know how long it's been, but I got a CL125S, which was my first motorcycle when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I ended up putting a new f- fuel tank on it, and you can't get the original CL125 tanks. There, there's, there's no new ones. All the old ones are rusted out. The one I had was perforated at the bottom. I tried to solder it up and seal it and mess with it a million times. And I finally gave up and just bought a generic Asian tank. And I had to move a bunch of stuff around and make new mounts and stuff to make it to fit, you know, new tires, all new forks. Cause the forks had gaiters. And when I pulled them down, they were just rust under there. The exhaust pipe I had to replace because the original was all one piece welded together and it was just completely rusted out. And I didn't realize it it taught me how carefully to look at a motorcycle before you buy it. Cause if I would have looked closely enough, I would have seen all of these problems. I got it running and the quote unquote fizz <laughs> of nostalgia lasted like one ride. I very quickly discovered, man, what was cool when I was 17 in high school in 1980 and what I enjoy today, yeah. I'm so spoiled by more modern bikes that it was like, just 
it wasn't a great bike. Uh, my wife was riding me. I mean, she's like, I can't see your turn signals in bright sunlight. I mean, they were so dim. And so I immediately like bigger battery, all led lights on it, which mm-hmm. meant I needed to revamp it. I put a bigger carb on it. The battery box I had to make just all kinds of things. I got it all done and it looked great. And I rode it about 50 miles mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm ready to sell it. There's, there is something good, though, sometimes just about scratching that itch, even if you know it's just going to be like, yep, had to scratch it. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Good. Time to move on. That's, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Well, I, once in a while, once in a while, I, I would have felt better about it if I did not lose my shirt. Oh, OK, well, <laughs> but I was blinded by nostalgia. It just turned into a marathon grind. Mm-hmm. of money and time I never intended to spend on it. So was it worth it? Probably not. But as fabrication practice, it was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention, and I was going to, because it seems relevant. I bought two different wrench sets. This is sort of going off topic, but um, in building my workshop, <clears throat> you know, I bought a bunch of tools for my garage and I bought a set of icon wrenches from Harbor Freight. I bought the metric set that's like six to 22 millimeters, maybe it's six to 19 millimeters. Um, They didn't have the SAE matching wrench set and I was impatient. So I ended up just ordering a set of uh, wrenches off of Amazon and they are the Tecton brand wrench set. And so the icon Wrench set, I think, was a hundred and like $129 or $119, right in that range. This Tecton wrench set is uh, fully polished, sort of appears to be comparable to like, you know, an icon brand, but it is about $65 for, you know, the equivalent wrench set. So I got both uh, now, and I have the Icon and the Tecton. And I will say that I do like the Tecton wrenches better, and they are half the price of the Icon brand from Harbor Freight. And Icon, you know, they try to compete, like, you know, compare us to Snap-on. But the Tecton ones, I think, have a better, like, feel in the hand. Um, They're not quite as bulky as the Icon wrenches. And then I'm not sure what it's supposed to accomplish, but the icon ones have some like serrations in the box or not the box, the open end. So on the top and bottom where it contacts an, a nut or a bolt, there's like little grooves or little serrations. And I'm not sure what they're trying to do, like if it supposedly grips a bolt better, but it gives me a little bit of concern on like a chrome plated uh, nut or bolt and those serrations like maybe causing the chrome to peel. Yeah. Um, but I sort of thought I'd just add that if you're looking for like an inexpensive, but like really nice looking wrench set, you know, better than like just like a regular cast craftsman wrench or something like that. The Tecton wrenches from Amazon are definitely worth, worth a look at 60 bucks a set. And they're very nice. Yeah, the, nice uh, the the teeth maybe just for when you round off your bolts. It's trying to give you some kind of extra grip in there. Yeah, I don't like the idea of those teeth in there. Like yeah. I said, like it 
if you have a nut or a bolt that you don't want to mark, you know, when, when you're building like finished engines and you have all the hardware that's either like plated or polished or something like that, it, like I don't want to put a mark in it. Yep. Makes me think that that could happen with those wrenches, but I haven't used them enough yet. So what's this fancy carburetor that I see in this picture you just shared? Uh, yes. Moving on to my workshop update. Uh, still working on the predator powered CVT bike and, uh, had to figure out how possibly to put a carburetor on this that would not occupy space that my leg needed. You can get these little, uh, aluminum intake adapters. And I took one, I cut it in half with my nice little aluminum blade that I bought that I talked about last time and got a piece of silicone hose and was just really trying to mock up. Could I move it out of the way? And the answer is no, it, it, there's just no way. So what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to copy what uh, Mike Festiva did on his little XR 100 predator powered bike and use a U bend to just mount it over the engine and have a 180 degree turn in the intake. I've ordered the flanges for it and they're going to take a week to get here. And I bought a, a inch and a quarter mild steel U-bend exhaust pipe, which amazingly in the Amazon reviews, everybody's like, perfect for a predator. Use this as my predator <laughs> intake. I was like, okay, I'm buying the right thing because everybody's <laughs> yeah. doing the same thing. So yeah, I, I bought a, uh, a Nibby 24 millimeter key and copy and a bunch of jets for it. And, uh, Nibby is, this is my third one. If you need a cheap Chinese carburetor, they're actually really nice name brand with a reputation in Asia. And, uh, they're really nicely put together and they, and they work and they're not crappy and they're not made out of pot metal that falls apart. So yeah. And they're, and I think this one cost me, uh, the hose, the extra jets and the carburetor were under a hundred dollars. So okay. it was Maybe like $90 not. for all of them. So yeah. So eventually I'll put something together, but I do, uh, I do have the engine mounted originally i was going to make up like a bent mild steel like 316th inch kind of folded box that it was going to bolt onto that would fit on the in the frame and i don't know if last time i had told you this but i had ordered one of those press brakes it that goes in a hydraulic press that you can use to bend metal 90 degrees yeah uh, not Woodward Fab. I'm trying to think of who it was I ordered it from, but, uh, they didn't say it was out of stock until after I ordered it. And then they were like, you're going to get it at the end of September. Like September 29th is when it's going to ship. So I'm like, okay, I got a month to wait. Well, in the meantime, somebody had posted a picture of a set of go-kart predator mounting plates that are vertical aluminum plates they are designed to bolt to you know whatever you have for your chassis you put mm -hmm. these on and it puts it forward at about a 15 degree angle so you can put a 
CV, one of those torque converter CVTs on it. And so I went ahead and started thinking along those lines. Well, I got a half inch aluminum plate, put that in, cut on my nice little aluminum saw that I talked about last time, some seven eighth inch thick vertical aluminum pieces, drilled them, tapped them for helicoils. So I'm not putting bolts directly into aluminum. Mm-hmm. It works really great. The bad news is my mount is six and a half pounds <laughs> of alloy. <laughs> One thing is the only bolts that bolted to the frame are all the way at the back. So it's kind of cantilevered all the way it is on the front. I I designed it so that the vertical parts actually cross my little cross member in my frame so that it distributes the weight, but I, I'm not sure I want to do that. So I am going to, I bought some spherical rod ends and I'm going to actually put a couple of, uh, rod ends at the front of the crankcase. There's actually two unused mounting bosses that I'm going to put a bar across there and tie that up to the front gusset behind the, the steering head kind of just support the weight, take some of the side-to-side stresses, you know, those side forces out of it and and kind of just distribute some more stress away from just those four bolts at the back. So <clears throat> my engine's in. I didn't have to wait till the end of September. And actually, I think this is probably a little bit stronger so I'm I'm trying to not deliberately do anything that's cheesy or stupid or bodgy. I'm sure I'm doing a bunch of things that are really lame, but at least they're things I don't know are lame. I'm kind of like, you know, I'd rather have it overbuilt a little bit than, you know, deliberately build a death trap. So what I'm realizing, though, is the first 90% is easy. That's- Less, you know, smaller and smaller tasks take more and more effort because you've kind of locked in more and more of your variables that you now need to meet. All these universal parts now need to fit a very, very specific place that they need to go. But I have so little space. If you look at my intake of that hose in my little mock up, is actually hard up against one of the frame tubes because mm-hmm. I've I have it's five millimeters thick and I had about two millimeters of clearance so I I have room that I can build a intake track that won't touch the frame but what I have does I might have to replace the spark plug cap because the one that I have is barely fits. On the other side, the exhaust is just going to clear the frame. And at the front, I have maybe five millimeters between the starter motor, because I've got an electric start on this, and the frame tubes. So this couldn't go in any direction at all more than a couple millimeters. So it just fits. I had a total of 12 bolt holes to drill. Four bolts from the plate into the frame, four bolts between the vertical pieces and the plate, and then four holes where the motor actually bolted into 
the mount. And I was convinced that I was going to end up really just being off enough that something wasn't going to work or the chain wasn't going to be in line or something. And so I measured a million times and actually had to redrill one hole a size larger because it was just a tiny bit off. Other than that, everything lined up. Everything goes in. I'm very pleased. I feel good about my fabrication skills. They've definitely improved over the years. And I think this is actually going to work. So I may actually try to weld up the intake myself. Yeah. We'll have to see. It'd be a good project to try to do. Yeah, absolutely. Pete shared a photo of his engine mount that he was just talking about, and he built them. It's a little different than what I was thinking it was going to look like, but kind of along the same lines. Um, I think you need to get your drill press out with a hole saw. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. We need, we need speed holes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some speed holes in that thing. Yep. Would be easy-ish. It would probably make it stronger, honestly. My theory being... If Mike Patey talks about it and how it makes stuff stronger in aluminum and carbon fiber, he has, you know, computational fluid dynamics and, you know, just so full on $30,000 software for, you know, testing engineering stresses. So you could probably punch some holes in that and be fine and and lose about three pounds. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I could lose three pounds. Well, didn't you say it was like six pounds for that it's thing? It's six, six and a half pounds for the plate and the vertical parts and all the hardware for them. Cut enough holes and all that, and <laughs> you'll lose three pounds. <laughs> Not saying you'll have much left, but... <laughs> but it looks good. I like it. Yeah, true. And in a project, it's really easy to get too caught up in the details, and you end up making a project infinitely long because you make it more and more complicated and although like making one part more complicated isn't that big of a deal but when you like make a pattern of that and then you end up making your project into something that it doesn't really need to be so i do think it's wise oftentimes to leave things good enough and get a project to the point where you can start to improve it rather than never finish it so well, and, and that's the thing about this project is the whole point of this was to see if I could use up all the used parts, you know, extra parts that were laying around my workshop. And the forks I have were leading axle forks from a cruiser. Mm-hmm. And looking at my trail dimensions when I was measuring how this is all going to go together, I have a choice of mounting it forward and having like two and a half inches of trail, which is pretty darn sketchy. That's like, mm-hmm. especially because none of this was designed to go together. I, I'm sure there's a tank slapper in that equation somewhere. <laughs> yeah. If I turn them around and I make it a trailing axle, first of all, it looks really weird. Mm-hmm. There are very few bikes that are like that. Scooters. Uh, I know the 550 Vision from Yamaha had trailing axle forks, but it looks odd. And then I end up with about four and a half inches of trail, which is kind of, uh, for an example, a, a, a 1970s Ducati 750 
had four and a half inches of trail. Kind of a locomotive, not really a, a fast-turning motorcycle. It probably is good because this is going to be a really tall, tippy, very short wheelbase bike. So it's probably good to have some extra stability. But for some reason, I was like, well, it just looks so weird. Everyone's going to be like, why are your forks on backwards? Do you not know how to do this? So I went out on eBay and I found GS550 Katana forks for like 60 bucks shipped. And I was like, I could do that. And all of a sudden, I was doing exactly what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. No, the whole point of this is to use up the crap I have and see how well it works, not starting to buy something to replace the parts that I'm trying to use up so that I'll still have these stupid 650 cruiser forks on my shelf when I'm done. That was one of the things I was like, no, I want to figure out something I can use those up. Uh, originally, I was going to do a metal front fender on it. I have one. And for some reason, I got a wild hair to go, oh, no, I want to put, you know, make it more of a supermoto kind of thing with uh, a high fender for the front, and I end up buying plastic fenders for it. I very easily could have put a metal fender on the back and a metal fender on the front that I already had that really didn't match, but they would have worked. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to look nice. It's not supposed to be elegant. Get something running as cheaply and easily as possible while freeing up space on your part shelf. And I came really close to starting to lose that concept. And I had to come back to, no, you're doing it the way it looks now because you're not going to go spend 60 bucks on different forks. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, it's going to be a Predator-powered bike. It's not going to be that great, you know? Right. I'm going to be going burning up belts for it. Did you guys see Ari and Zach compare a K5 GSXR 1000 to a new Panigale on the racetrack? No, no I but I did watch Zach's RC Honda RC30 review. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That that's uh, Abby's bike that he yeah. bought yeah, and has already it. sold. And, yeah, and, and that place the the auction place that he was in at the end. Oh my, was there some drool worthy stuff in there? Uh, iconic. He's actually a part owner of that, which is oh, why, is which is why so many of those iconic bikes show up on his right. website. Gotcha. Uh, anyways, no, I have not seen that comparison. Yeah. So they, it was like, um, I think on Revzilla or on YouTube, maybe both of them, they do an episode of one of their shows and compare a, 2020 Ducati Panigale V4S with a 2005 GSXR 1000. And the GSXR 1000 is like a really high mileage bike. It's got like 40 something thousand miles on it. Um, no, sorry, 55,000 miles wow. on it. And they didn't really do anything other than Airy just went through the suspension, like didn't do anything crazy to it, just basically did a fluid change and all that. And in every single way they tested them, the GSXR was faster around the track. Like, not even by a little bit, but by, like, seconds a lap. And that right. was when they, they switched riders. They, like, put the same tires on them. Like, they accounted for every variable they could. Which, which track did they go to, Buttonwillow? Just curious, because... 
Big Willow is a fast track. Button Willow's a longer track with kind of some mixed stuff. So yeah, let and me I could see. see if they went to some tight track that that would definitely <laughs> could definitely be a thing. It's Button Willow. Okay, well that's a good size. That's a good long track. So yeah, but um. It is the, you know, KE5 GSXR 1000, I think, is regarded as one of the better GSXRs or like one of the better leader bikes of all time. In every test, the the GSXR was faster. That's interesting. Although yeah. I don't remember who I heard this discussion with. I, it might have been the Brap Talk podcast, which is uh, Jensen Beeler and Shaheen. I think it was Jensen Beeler that was saying the Panigale is really unforgiving. Mm-hmm. It's got so much potential that it's really hard to ride fast and it doesn't tolerate any lack of technique. I mean, it's really an expert's bike. I mean, those guys are not slackers. I mean, Ari no, and knows. Like, they might not be professional racers, but there is close to the skill level as like a normal person gets. They, they right. would run, like right. in, in, if they were running Moto America stock 1000, they'd be seventh, eighth, ninth, probably pretty consistently. Yeah. So I like to imagine that Aerie in, in Zach too, but specifically Aerie could ride that Panigale, not to the edge of its limits per se, but the way it's intended to, at least more get more performance out of it than the GSXR is capable of, I would think. And that wasn't the case. I don't think rider skill is necessarily the deciding factor here, but that's really interesting. And they were, I think, really surprised by the results because, you know, they like it feels fast, but it's really just like when you actually count a lap time, the GSXR achieves a lap faster despite you know, rider aids being on or off and anything else, you know, obviously it accelerates faster than the GSXR, which probably makes it feel like it's achieving like a faster lap time, but it actually did not. Interesting. Yeah. So it's worth watching that episode. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find it on, on YouTube. Real quick. And they even had to do like a, a parking lot repair on the GSXR. Hmm. Or I think the the stator had come loose from the housing or something of that nature and um, was making some side cover noise. And they didn't know if it was like internal engine noise. So they're like, well, it sounds like it's this side of the engine. Let's just take the side cover off. And sure enough, it was just sort of flopping in there. Interesting. Yeah. And, and the GSXR, I mean, it looks sort of like a stunt bike. It's not a pretty or well-maintained GSXR either. It looks uh, it looks pretty well used. Interesting. The yeah. um, the one of the the other video there's that I did watch in the last week or so was as I'm looking for it. Did Harley build a better ADV? Oh than yeah, did a cruiser. That was a really yeah. interesting episode. I really enjoyed I that. Was that was pretty funny. Yeah. And their conclusion was basically Harley played BMW's game better yep. than BMW played Harley's game. Yeah. Which surprised me. Because he was riding on the, uh, had a helmet mic and he's riding on the R18 and he's like, this bike is just 
bad. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you're not mincing words there. You're just calling it. I, and, and this is the yeah. first person I've heard that has said, this is a bad motorcycle. I've heard a lot what? of, well, it's, you know, it's a cruiser. You have to take that into account and it's probably good for its audience. And he's like, no, this is bad. I, yeah. what I, what I thought was funny is in the, when they were talking about BMW's previous efforts at building a cruiser in the, what was it, the R1200C? Like, well, you know, it, it had this weird front end, but like, yeah, it sounded like a hot air popcorn machine going down the road. That was, that was also a major problem with that motorcycle. Although I have to say, there's a part of me that could really talk myself into one of those 1200Cs. The, some of them were towards the end got styled a little bit better than the original, but everything I've heard is functionally they're really good bikes. They have the whatever it is the tele telelever telelever yeah, front end on it that's got the weird a arm in there and all kinds of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the backrest and the big bars, it's probably put a windshield on it's probably pretty comfy i mean it's probably a good highway tour and you don't have to look at it while you're on it you know other people <laughs> may get grossed out but i i do have to say i've, I've seen the art the r18 at the uh, ducati shop up the street i haven't stopped to look at it but as i drive by i i it's parked up there occasionally i like the way it looks but mm-hmm. yeah apparently it, you know that that's style over substance so yeah, and the thing is like seven hundred pounds. Yeah, it's like I couldn't believe unbelievably it. heavy. Well, wasn't didn't they say the engine was like a hundred and eighty pounds or something? Was some ridiculously yeah. high number for the for the engine? Yeah, I keep continually being impressed by the Harley Davidson Pan America, though. It seems that it's probably doing better than people expected mm-hmm. for Harley Davidson's version of an adventure bike. So. And and I guess sales are actually pretty good on it. It's the number one selling ADV bike in America. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Right. It is. There's probably a bunch of people going into the Harley dealerships and the Harley salespeople like, what's with all these fancy people? <laughs> I know, right? I know. That's a bad stereotype because there's a lot of fancy people buying $40,000 Evo Harleys so, or whatever the, the super $40,000 bagger versions are. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really want to ride one. The the other one I'm interested in just to see. I know I think some of the reviews are, or most of the reviews are out is uh, the sport, the new Sportster with that engine in it. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because like that's a really big price jump for a Sportster. Yeah, because it was like a nine to eleven thousand dollar bike, and now it's like a fifteen thousand dollar bike. And be interesting. Is that with like the full 150 horsepower? No, they dialed it okay. down. I think it's like 120. 120. Yeah, 120. I was going to say it's yeah. still 120 horsepower. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but I mean that's still like compared to 80 um, horsepower. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's going to be an absolute rocket ship compared to what it's always been. And, and I think I think they kept the weight somewhat under control, where it's like five or 525. So. You know, that's not ridiculous. No. I mean, a modern day super bike is 460. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, very interesting. I don't hate it. I'm sorry that it doesn't have more suspension. That's fair. 
the high pipes on the right hand side look problematic. They would it looks like it would that would be distracting. Even if they're well insulated, it yeah. just looks distracting when you riding it. Yes. Um I I think the big tires just looks like a cartoon motorcycle from a from a nineteen thirties cartoon or like Pluto should be riding this thing around. So <laughs> I wonder if that improves the comfort of the ride. I would think so, just because you got all that sidewall. Yeah. If you're not going to have, if you only have like two and a half or three and a half inches of travel, that um, right. all that sidewall is going to be part of your suspension. Yeah. The Bonneville Bobber from Triumph, it was available with a skinny little 19 inch tire or with a real fat front tire. And everybody said the one with the fat front tire actually handled better, which really mm. surprised me because I thought it would just be a truck. Yeah. And so I I don't know. I I would love to test ride one and mm-hmm. actually see what it's like on the road because I can see where it might be a really nice short hop bike to ride. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing though, is I still it's only like a three gallon tank on those things, I think. So mm-hmm. well, it seems like everything nowadays just has small tanks. Either they have like Paris to car seven gallon tanks, or you're lucky if you get three, three and a half gallons out of it. Speaking of um, Paris to car stuff, sort of, um, as I was avoiding doing some personal work for the review I need to finish writing up uh, and was poking around on um, YouTube, I came across uh, one of Cager on Two Wheels older reviews of the KTM 890. Mm hmm. And I had forgotten that they they put the fuel tanks like down around the engine cases on that thing. Oh, but, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of weird, but but it was one of those things where well, it actually did have fuel capacity on it and stuff like that. So yeah, the the 790 it I refer to it as the testicle tank because it just <laughs> I realized they've said no. They did a whole bunch of testing. It's really durable. It it's not a crash issue. It lowers the center of gravity and it's I, I get all that it's ugly <laughs> uh, it was funny it was just i hadn't watched one of cager's videos in a while and it was just funny to like oh yeah okay i remember the style now so he had, he did evolved it a little bit from what he used to because this is after he had shown who he really is so uh versus high, you know when he was doing it without showing his face so uh Royal Enfield has introduced the classic 350. They're replacing what was their old style with a bike that's basically the Meteor that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. It's the Meteor engine and frame brakes everything, but it has the chrome tank and the styling and the more upright seating position with a taller seat like the old 350 was. Mm. And I think it's rather attractive. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I thought the Enfield looked odd, or the the Meteor, rather. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite a cruiser. It wasn't quite a standard. It wasn't quite modern. It wasn't quite retro. It was kind of a, that's interesting. The same engine, but with polished side covers and chrome on the tank. Looks more like I would expect a Royal Enfield to look. Mm-hmm. 
if I was going to be in the market for one, I don't know which one I would want. But I have to say, I think they're going to sell a bunch of those. Is this for sale here? It will be next year for 2022. Year. We will get it. Uh, they have released a press release saying it's going to be in the United States next year. Hmm. They've already done the work to get the meteor through yeah, the meteor, all of the, the engines, DOT and EPA and stuff. It's the same thing. Cool. <laughs> By the way, I did find uh, going back to the at the top of the show when I said I couldn't remember what year my CBR was. It was a 93. Uh, and I actually posted uh, the photo, some photos of it on our Facebook page because it had popped up in one of my memories. Right. From uh, August 24th is is when it was. Had that been repainted or would they yes. originally? I was going to say, I didn't think they came in black. And it actually wasn't. It it looks black, but it's it's kind of a black cherry color. So there's like this red tinge to it, but you could never get it to photograph. Right. It was one of those bikes that you had to see in person and the wheels matched. And I mean, it was a really nice bike. It was a super clean bike. It was nice. But like I said, it was it was a perfect Honda. It was just kind of a little too made by engineers. Mm hmm. I, I had a Honda GB500, which was similar in that it was not quite black. It was actually a really dark metallic green, mm -hmm. but you didn't see the green unless you were in direct sunlight. You're right. I'm sorry. It was. It must have been that paint color because I said black cherry, but you're right. It's, it was black with green. Sorry, I, it's been so long since I've had the bike. I kind of forgot. But yes, it was. It was green, uh, greenish tinge in color. So it must have been that same paint color. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Looked really good in the sunlight. Okay. Well, we will go back to work in our shops and I, I can't spend any money this month, unfortunately. So I can't, <laughs> uh, if there's anything that takes an outlay of cash to make progress, that's going to hinder me for at least the next pay period or two. Cause some of those annual expenses that come up every once in a while are coming up right about this time. So yeah, I got my, my quarterlies do. So. But yeah. we're also in that 30 to 45 day period that happens twice a year here in Michigan where it's not brutally hot and it's not cold and rainy either. So maybe I'll be out in the garage for an hour and actually pull it, finish pulling the engine out of my bike. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Notice this month I didn't even I didn't even I ask. <laughs> I there was no reason to. I did see an XS 400 on the local Craigslist at a reasonable price and it seemed to be in nice shape. And for about 15 seconds, I thought, Oh, I could join Eric in the XS 400 club. Mm -hmm. And then I thought of all of the hassle you had. And I'm like, yeah, no, another bike that old, I don't need to go there. So right. on the local Facebook marketplace, somebody had an EL 250 eliminator Kawasaki that they made, I think two years. The guy said, yeah, I bought it. The Something's messed up with the carbs. Thought I had it repaired. I didn't. I just done with it. Started out at $1,000. Went down to five fifty pretty quick. And Oh, and he had a title for it. Yeah. It's a really cool bike. And I was like, oh, that would be a good 250 to get my 250 and under badge for smack dab. Mm -hmm. Put a little windshield on the front. Throw some soft saddlebags on it if I could get that. And I was like. And where would I put it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Any room as it is. And I was like, it was one of those, it was fun to entertain for just a moment until reality smacked me in the face. I was like, yeah, that ain't happening. So 
And I, and I think he sold it like in a day. So it's like the 2011 or 2012 Tuano, you know, V4 Tuano that's right on, on um, the Aprilia forum right now for $6,600. Mm. I'm just like, no, 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 no. You cannot be that cheap. <laughs> but yeah, that'll, that's not going to happen. So no reason to stress about it. Okay. Well, we'll wrap up. Thank you for listening. If you want to see pictures of all the things we've been talking about, including my carburetor installation and my giant alloy plate motor mounts and Garrett's Z50, his laser engraver, everything else that we've talked about, uh, all that kind of stuff, you can go to Hooniverse.com, click on podcast, and you should see ours in there along with the off the road again podcast which is weekly so there's always a lot more of their posts than ours but we're in there thanks guys see you all next month so long <laughs>